welcome to Season 3 of Myth Madness. Yes, I am now calling these different collections of episodes Seasons. If this is your first time listening, Season 1 focused on Greek mythology, and I discussed myths about the different gods and goddesses. Season 2 was shorter, and focused on Hittite mythology. The Hittites were a civilization in what is now Turkey, and existed about 500 years before classical ancient Greece. This season, Season 3, returns to Greek mythology, and this time focuses on the human heroes. Many people are at least familiar with the names of some of the more important Greek heroes, ones like Achilles, Oedipus, Hercules, and Theseus. But the Greeks had myths telling the exploits of many different heroes, and I'm going to try and retell many of their stories in these following episodes. These heroes roughly fit into approximately 8 to 10 or so generations, divided across several different family lineages and based in different parts of Greece. The entire span of time covered by these generations is considered the Age of Heroes. This episode is intended as an introduction to the Age of Heroes as a whole. The following episodes will each focus on the individual heroes. The Age of Heroes was just one of a few different ages in Greek mythology, which I talked about way back in the very first episode of this podcast. At its core, the myths outlining these different ages focused on different attempts by immortals to people the Earth. But it wasn't a particularly solid framework, and sometimes it's hard to tell exactly where a specific age turned into another. Sometimes, though, we get a specific start to the Age of Heroes. At some point, Zeus grew displeased with the existing humans, and decided to destroy them. His weapon of choice was a large flood that would cover the land and sweep all the pesky mortals away. But the titan Prometheus intervened. Way back in episode 5 of the pod, I talked about how Prometheus took a special interest in human beings. There are some versions that give him a direct hand in the creation of men, but the Greeks had several different myths for their creation, and Prometheus isn't always the creator. Prometheus was more often simply involved with making humans' lives easier, giving them the gift of fire, for instance. Prometheus was also tied to humans by blood. His brother, Epimetheus, was the partner for the very first woman, Pandora, and Prometheus's son, Deucalion, was married to their daughter, Pyra. So when Zeus was planning to send a flood, Prometheus warned his mortal son, Deucalion, and Deucalion built a boat, put his family inside, and was saved. Afterwards, they appeased Zeus with a sacrifice and were directed to throw stones. Men and women were born from these stones, and the earth was repopulated. From these men and women, the later generations of heroes were assumed to be ultimately descended, but it's often not exactly clear how. The Greek myths also contain other lines of descent too, not just from Deucalion, Pyrrha, and their stones. Another group was descended from Prometheus's other brother, Atlas. Then there were also the Inachids, who were descended from a river spirit who was the son of the titans Oceanus and Tethys. And another example are the Aesopids, all claiming to come from another river spirit named Aesopos. Each of these groups and others were tied to specific parts of Greece. Just like with the origins of humans themselves, these lineages likely represent different traditions coming from different communities scattered across ancient Greece. 
Because of the murkiness of the different traditions, it's not always clear how the later eight or so generations of heroes were tied into these families. It's all a big, multi-stranded mess, and it's only going to get worse when I go on to cover the adventures of the most famous Greek heroes. That means it's impossible to pull all these events together into a single step-by-step narrative. Nevertheless, this season of Myth Madness is going to do just that. At least, loosely, anyway. I'm going to dedicate episodes to the exploits of different heroes, but the season as a whole is going to progress from generation to generation, with the heroes living in earlier times at the beginning. The earlier heroes are mostly going to be founder figures. These are usually different kings who were important characters in the origin stories of some of ancient Greece's most powerful cities. Some of them are important monster slayers. These are heroes like Cadmus and Perseus. The middle generations contain a variety of many different heroes, some well-known to us today and others less well-known. The heroes of these generations are especially active in many myths, and this is where the timeline is going to get very messy. Many of these heroes' adventures are supposed to occur at the same time, or at least very close in time. So bear that in mind, because you will notice that some of the episodes are going to refer back to each other. I compare this to the kind of cinematic universe that superhero movies are set in. Each hero has their own movie or thing to do on their own, but sometimes they come together in groups to fight a big villain, and then go back to their personal business afterwards. For many of these Greek heroes, the adventures are happening at roughly the same time but in different places, which is part of the reason why it's hard to say what exactly came first. Heroes like Hercules, Jason and the Argonauts, and Oedipus are some of the members of these generations. Greek heroes often intermarry with each other's families, and in this way, the eight or so generations are divided into several different family lineages. Sometimes major mythological events bring multiple families together, One example is the voyage of the Argonauts, and another is the hunt for the Caledonian boar. The most significant example, though, is the Trojan War, which brought a whole bunch of the members of these different families together into a single time and place. This is the main event of Greek mythology, at least based on the surviving literature. The longest epic poems from the archaic period of ancient Greece tell stories from the Trojan War, or at least what happened shortly afterwards. But we also know of a fair amount of lost poems, which also covered other parts of the war. And later writers also tried to add to this Trojan War tapestry of material too. Since there's so much Trojan War-related material, this season will stop with the generation of heroes from just before the Trojan War. I think the Trojan War deserves its own season itself. But of course, since the different generations overlap, like generations in the real world, Some of the names covered this time are going to be heard again down the line, and the Trojan War is still part of the mythical Age of Heroes. After the Trojan War, the children of the surviving heroes grow up but lack the notability of their fathers and grandfathers. There are a few exceptions, and I'll cover them eventually, but at this point, the ancient Greeks have their legendary Age of Heroes slowly fade away, and Greece's real historical period begins. The word mythos even means a story told, and it was generally understood that the events in myths were reflections of historical events from a legendary time when people were greater and the world was full of magic. In particular, the Greek poet Hesiod 
was unequivocal on this point. Hesiod was a Greek poet who lived around 700 BC. He is the earliest Greek poet we actually know was a real person. Hesiod's work is the earliest source to clearly introduce the idea that the age of heroes occurred in the real, distant past. He believed he lived in an Iron Age, a cruel and heartless era, filled with war, greed, and just generally lacking the honor and glory of the previous Age of Heroes. And many ancient Greeks believed this too. People from important families tried to tie their genealogies back to the important people living in the Age of Heroes. The resulting family trees were vague and often, frankly, nonsensical when taken together, but the people were proud of them. In making these family trees and retelling the myths, the Greeks repeatedly recreated their ideas of their own pasts. Part of this was because they knew they had some kind of past centuries before Hesiod. This was because the landscape was studded with the ruins and remains of an earlier civilization, and even some of their myths, legends, and gods harkened back to that earlier period. Centuries before Hesiod, the Mycenaean Greek civilization existed from around 1750 to approximately 1050 BC. Major Mycenaean power centers were scattered across Greece. Some of the major sites include Pylos, Tiryns, Orchomenos, Iolkos, and of course Mycenae, which gives the period its name. The Mycenaean civilization collapsed between 11 BC and 1050 BC. The reason for this collapse is not completely understood. They probably faced a perfect storm of multiple problems, and the collapse was part of a larger social collapse happening to several civilizations across the eastern Mediterranean Sea, including the Hittites, whose myths were the focus of my second season. But the Mycenaean cities were built around fortified palace citadels, and the ruins of these earlier citadels survived the collapse, and were explained by the later populations through their own myths and legends. What we know about the Mycenaeans comes from excavations of these ruins. Hundreds of clay tablets have also been excavated from these sites. And these tablets use a writing script we call Linear B today. The tablets were mostly trade-related documents. Things like lists of goods, inventories, receipts, that sort of thing. Nothing really survives that you can call literature. But this is not to say the Mycenaeans didn't have literature. They definitely did. It's just that they likely communicated it orally, or wrote these things on parchment or wood, and these items did not survive the rot and dust collecting on them over time. Scattered throughout these trade and merchandise-related documents, we get many examples of names and even invocations, or mentions, of some of the Mycenaeans' gods. There aren't any narratives, stories, or hymns, but these names do provide evidence that at least some aspects of the ancient Greek religion that we are familiar with were already present, in the Mycenaean period. The Mycenaeans made sophisticated artwork, jewelry, carved gemstones, painted pottery, figurines, and some really beautiful frescoes painted on palace walls. These frescoes, they show people walking, hunting, fighting, jumping over bulls. It's possible some showed scenes from Mycenaean myths, like how a lot of later Greek art did too, but we can't tell for sure. Anyway, with the collapse of the Mycenaean civilization, a new era began. This period is called the Greek Dark Ages, and it lasted for about 400 years until the beginning of the Archaic period 
and the rise of classical ancient Greece. During the Dark Ages, though, there was widespread famine, and people abandoned the larger cities and towns. Mycenaean art lost quality, and reverted to simpler geometric designs. Any writing or literature the Mycenaeans had previously fell by the wayside, and the use of the Linear B script eventually stopped completely. What that means is that any knowledge the ancient Greeks of Hesiod's time had of the earlier Mycenaeans was limited to surviving oral stories and the few ruins that were visible above ground. There was no passed-down written literature, because no one was left able to read any Linear B, even if they found anything to read. Since they didn't really know exactly what their past was like, the Greeks had a lot of creative freedom to make up what they didn't know. Because of that, the mythical age of heroes does not completely match up with the real-world Mycenaeans. But the earlier period still had a crucial role in the creation of Greek mythology. Most of the myths take place in the time of the Mycenaeans. The importance of specific towns in the myths almost always correlates with that town's importance in the Mycenaean period, and not the later archaic or classical ones. The best examples are Mycenae, Tyrans, and Pylos, which were very minor sites or complete ruins later on. Of course, there are also exceptions. Thebes and Athens were the settings of many well-known Greek myths. They were important Greek city-states in Mycenaean times, especially Thebes, and remained important in the historical period too. Another example comes from the surviving Mycenaean tablets written in Linear B and found at Gnosis in Crete and major Mycenaean settlements on the Greek mainland. These tablets list real people, but their names are recognizable as the names of important heroes from Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, names like Hector and Achilles. But funny enough, these names were not common in classical Greece, so it seems Homer was using genuine Mycenaean names in his poems. But within the tablets, these names are used in some interesting ways. They are not listed as great heroes or even kings or warlords. The names are for simple landowners running farms and keeping inventory of their crops of barley. With the evidence of the Mycenaeans worshipping many of the same gods, the settings matching with major cities, and the use of older common names in later archaic poems, I think you can easily think of the mythical age of heroes as a fantasy version of the Mycenaean period world. But unlike fantasy worlds dreamed up by single authors today, the Greek myth world was the product of many different people. It was all made up by different people with different interests and slightly different ideals and interpretations of their gods. Take the earliest epic poets of Greece's archaic period. Many have a common theme of how the gods' actions affect humans on Earth. But they show this through the lens of a very specific event. Take Homer, for example. The Iliad is focused on the hero Achilles and his decision to stop fighting, while the Odyssey focused on Odysseus's longing to get home after the war. But Homer made sure his audience knew his work was just a snapshot of a larger body of material. By making references to other mythological events the audience would already have been familiar with. This technique of embedding the stories within the larger mythology through the use of sometimes vague references would be used by many Greek poets and writers. To us today, this can sometimes be confusing, and the references can make events seem out of order, but the implied order wasn't the important bit. The references themselves were. 
Other times, storytellers would tweak myths or embellish certain parts for the benefits of an audience. Many of these storytellers traveled around and composed literary works for rich and influential patrons. Others took part in contests, where whoever told the best story would be rewarded. This all meant that the storytellers had incentives to innovate, at least somewhat. And this is in part the reason why different versions of myths developed, or different versions left out or included particular details. This doesn't always mean the storyteller wasn't familiar with a particular detail. It may have meant that they just for whatever reason wanted to focus on something else. As you can imagine, contradictions are rampant in myth. The poet Hesiod, also retelling myths about gods and heroes that other people would have told him, even contradicts himself in several places of his own poems. Many of these Greek storytellers were even aware of these contradictions. Some identify different versions, and sometimes they even say which version they liked better. It was all part of a process where these real people were trying to understand their own past, culture, and body of mythology. Over the next episodes, I will move generation by generation through the Age of Heroes. Each episode will focus on a different hero, and I will retell their stories, often using one or two sources as a main guide. But I'll also try and point out when different sources seem to disagree with each other, and show you when multiple traditions were maybe existing at the same time. And that's all for today. If you haven't already, subscribe to the pod on your podcasting streamer of choice, and you can listen to new episodes as they come out. As always, thank you for listening.